You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. One of the best parts about any role playing game isn't just the fantastic battles, it's the memorable locations that they take place in and the interesting NPCs that our heroes encounter. We are so excited to announce the Extraordinary Expedition's upcoming Kickstarter, which launches on Kickstarter October 12th. Extraordinary Expeditions was inspired by one of our favorite adventure themes, Dungeon Delves. Modular adventures that could be grabbed from the shelf and ran with little or no prep at all. The adventures are written in such a way that everyone at the table gets to experience their favorite pillars of roleplay. The first adventure from Extraordinary Expeditions is called Far Touched, and you all get it for free right now on our homepage at CritAcademy.com. Don't wait, it's a free adventure. You can just pick it up when you have nothing planned. Do you struggle to line up schedules with players for D&D? If so, then keep watching. We've got a great episode that makes it easy to set out an adventure at any time that is convenient for you. Yeah, good luck with that one. Hello and welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Ian. I'm co-host, Brandon. We hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. Our show may not be suitable for young children, but neither is our D&D game. That's totally not been in there for like a year. About to say. (laughs) (laughs) We want to thank you guys for joining us here today at Crit Academy Studios, where everything's made up and your roles don't matter. Yep, that's right. Your roles are like trying to schedule a D and D game with friends. Try <laughs> uh, scheduling a game with with law school students who all have different oh, schedules. <laughs> oh man, that's savage and hard as hell. You available man. on Saturday? I object. <laughs> <laughs> I am super excited today, guys, and hopefully you are. We got a really great topic today. Um, I've really been interested in West March's games for a while. Um, I've been wanting to cover it for some time now, and uh, so I'm happy to finally uh, really delve into it and give it a go. Um, So why don't we start off with the basic question that everyone's asking. Brandon, what is a West March's Dungeons & Dragons game? I have no idea. That's why I'm here. (laughs) 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 It was designed to be pretty much the diametric opposite of the normal weekly game. That's what the show note says. Uh, yeah, there's no <laughs> real regular time. Every session uh, was scheduled by the players on the fly. And I think that that's really important. Um, because there's no regular party, each game had a different players drawn from a pool uh, of players, which I think is interesting because that's not something that normally you can generally do. But with the... Uh, the pandemic and all that stuff that happened, we are now playing D&D online more than we ever have in the past. Oh, yep. I mean, that's... And, and because of that, it gives us new opportunities specifically for um, something like a West Marches style game. Though I've seen it most common used as like a play-by-post thing, too. Yep. Um, there's one other thing that really sets it apart. Yeah, uh, there was no regular plot. The players decided where to go and what to do. And if you're a DM, that sounds like a nightmare, I know. <laughs> Especially if you use Foundry and make, use maps all the time. Yes. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was a sandbox game in the sense that's uh, now used to describe video games like uh, mm-hmm. Grand Theft Auto uh, minus the missions. Yeah. Uh, I guess that could be like My- open, Minecraft go, was Go do whatever you way. want, right? The Skyrim is that way as well. Uh, there was no mysterious old man sending them on quests, no overarching <laughs> plot, just an overarching environment. Oh, that's uh, great. I think yeah. the only way they'll work on that virtual tabletop is do what Dragon Age 2 did, and they'll use six maps over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's horrible. It's true. That, was that, which Dragon Age was that? The second one. Oh, I didn't play the second one. That's why. I was like, I, first one seemed really good. <laughs> it, it, made, it made like within like that first year or two of the first games, because uh, EA it. rushed them. <laughs> 
Yeah, they do that. They do that a lot. Anyway, the uh, first game is uh, set in the frontier region on the edge of civilization. The uh, West Marches, as it's known in Beirut. <laughs> There's a convenient fortified town that is uh, marked the first outpost of civilization and law. But beyond that is sketchy wilderness. All the PCs are would-be <laughs> known adventurers based in this town. And adventuring is not a uh, common or safe profession. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> so all the player characters are the only ones interested in risking their lives in the wilderness in the hope of making a fortune. And NPC adventurers are few and far between. Between sorties into the wilds, the PCs rest up, trade info, and plan their next foray in the tavern or inn. Now, I want to, if you're interested in following along and you want to know more about this, I just sent a link. You can head on over to CritAcademy.com slash blog post. Our episode is based off of Ars Ludi's The Grand Experiment article. I cannot recommend this article enough. Not only does it, it has hyperlinks within hyperlinks to, to, to guide you in uh, yeah. the way that they've, uh, the, the way the West Marches game runs. Um, what I think is really cool and what really separates it apart, we recently had an episode about... Uh, hex crawls, right? Yep. And in the hex crawls, we talked about all the different types of hexes representing different uh, variety of oh, regions, yeah. right? Um, and the for the West Marches style, it's all unexplored, so it's easy to make a variety of different regions that really stand out. Um, whether it's a uh, you know a, a you know a, a set of you know marshes. Containing, you know, black dragons or, or Cradlewood or Pike Hollow or, or some of these areas that, um, are unique in the sense that there's some feature about them that's different, whether it's, you know, high mesas, swamplands, a mountain, um, an un- a path into the underdark, something like that. And each one has a different ecology and hazard. And that's really what makes, um, the West Marches stuff so interesting because while you all generally start from the same location, as you go out from to square to square or on your adventure, you're kind of some of the first adventurers that really get to um, experience that stuff. Now, hmm. what's really cool is the PCs at this point get to really explore where they want. We always talk about player agency and how important it is in Dungeons and Dragons. Well, West Marches is literally something that's set up by the players. So when you have a pool of players, they'll say, hey, anybody interested in doing a dungeon crawl through some marshes? You know, the last group that was in the West Marches came discovered these this this, you know, this dungeon in the Swamp of Sorrows or whatever. But when they went in there, you know, one of them died due to an ambush by a monster so it might be you know out of their level that's something i'm interested in investigating more or dying in the process um and i think that really makes it more player focused than most what do you think about that uh, i think a swamp called the swamp of sorrows would throw up a red flag or two <laughs> i totally just that came to my head from uh, world of warcraft but yeah um there are, you know, no adventures in the civilized lands, which I think is interesting. Basically, everybody is heading west, and that's it, which is thus west marches. Everything else behind you has already been explored. Mm, the um, deer. And I, <laughs> that makes it uh, all the more interesting because it really puts the player characters at the forefront of what's going on. Um, now, I'm sure Brandon can tell us a little bit about how dangerous it is because this is something that also separates regular games because you have a big pool of players you can do a little you can make it a little environment a little more dangerous can't you yeah the environment is dangerous very dangerous that's intentional <laughs> because as the great mud nexus teaches us danger unites it's true <laughs> pcs have to work together or they're going to be creamed by whatever's out there they also have to think and pick their battles since they can go anywhere there is nothing stopping them from strolling into areas that will wipe them out. And anybody that's played the uh, the Elemental Evil uh, campaign setting yep. it can can speak to just how dangerous being able to go anywhere you want is. I think Ian's can talk on that a little bit. A little bit. Yep. The players learn to observe their environment and adapt. When they find the owlbear checks in the woods, they give the area a wide berth. At least until they gain a few levels. <laughs> 
<laughs> when they stumble into the lair of a terrifying Hydra, they retreat and run up a posse to hunt it down. Now, overall, especially when you're first starting out, the PCs are pretty weak, yep. but central. They are small fish in a dangerous world they have to explore with caution. But because they are the only adventurers, they never play second fiddle. Overshadowed by looming peaks and foreboding forests. Yes, but overshadowed by other characters, not so much. And I think this is really cool because we talk about how um, open sandboxy it is, right? So what that means is that everything that's discovered is being discovered by the, the player characters. And so in this dangerous world, you might find out that, okay, they're in the Swamp of Sorrows is this, this deadly T-Rex or something, right? So because of that, only somebody who's ready to hunt something like that is probably willing to delve into that area to find out what treasures, you know, lie beyond. And um, because of that, though, there can be misinformation. Mm-hmm. Because you're relying on the characters to gather information, this is where the, the one thing that I've noticed about Westmarch that I think is the coolest is that knowledge checks, the people following you ain't going to know how well you did on that knowledge check. So if you identify a owl bear tracks in that area and you report that back but never actually find it and they rolled like a three... The players are going to know that. The following players in the group are not going to know that. So they're like, oh, there's an owlbear in there. And they go hunting for said owlbear. Turns out it's a T-Rex. And now they're dead because somebody else rolled a low check. And the map and details are inaccurate. Uh, yeah. That ain't no owlbear. I farted and it came with a prize. <laughs> so to me, that's something that is really interesting. Because it takes it in a way that the players as they collect these notes and these details of where they're going, you're basing their knowledge off of their characters, roles, and experiences, which means most things may or may not be what they say they are. And that's something that doesn't generally happen with a team of the same group, right? Nope. Because if, you know, Ian and Brandon are in a group with me and they both roll survival checks to identify tracks. We are so screwed. Right. They identify tracks that say, okay, this is a CR, or you know that this is an owlbear tracks. They both know, well, Justin's full of shit because I rolled a three. There's no way that's right. But once again, the people following them aren't going to really know that. Um, and that to me is just intriguing. Um, now, as we touched on, each of these sessions are self-contained, right? Um, so there's kind of a lot that goes with that. Brandon, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Every session can be entirely self-contained. I just said that. Exactly. The new <laughs> session will always represent a completely new foray out from the base into the wilderness, even if, coincidentally, the party is exactly the same as last time and want to resume a similar pursuit. <laughs> yeah, the player characters don't have to spontaneously appear in the narrative in an unsatisfying way because everyone basically starts at the same location. Um, and in later adventures, oftentimes you end up finding the travel is hand wave or skipped over, which I think this is, ties really well back into our hex crawl, where you can use the hex crawl for that. So maybe you've went into a square in your adventure, right? And you've delved really into it. Now every time you go through that, maybe you just make a roll to see if you encounter something. And then once you do that encounter, you get through that and move on. So the game goes a little quicker in that sense, the more squares you exploit, uh, explore. And I think um, the... Cholt adventure really the Tome of Annihilation Cholt adventures kind of captures that pretty well too. Um, Ian, do you have anything to add? Uh, you want to uh, add to that? Well, also as we firmly established already, this is basically a sandbox style of play, but the players must decide what they would like to do in advance of the session. Now, n normally as part of booking the DM's time for the session, the players would also state what they want to do in that session. That way the DM can prep in advance, as we kind of established, mm -hmm. that, oh, good. that would be helpful, especially when you're using maps, without needing to prepare the whole world or improvise large pieces of contents. And, also of those uh, first three points, one thing that's quite important is, session reports are always shared. <laughs> yes, that, and once again, I've kind of touched on that a little bit, that's what makes this more interesting, because, once again, it's players sharing notes with other people. So... The better or the worse the notes, it's going to impact the knowledge that the other people have, especially when they pass through an area and discover a giant monolith. Now, one group may not have any interest in that. Oh, just so you know, off in the distance, you see this giant uh, black, you know, obsidian obelith, 
or obelisk or, or whatever. And they may not choose it, so they may write a note, found an obelisk at, you know, this coordinates near just west of, you know, the Swamp of Sorrows. So other players that like lore and stuff might say, hey, I'm interested in a lore venture. The last group, uh, one of these other groups found this uh, obelisk off on the, you know, west end of uh, the Swamp of Sorrows. Does anybody want to form a group? Don't so once again, it. you plop you plop a time. Here's a day I would like to do it. And with a pool of, you know, 10 plus people, it's easy to get the group together and, and charge in. Even if it's a different group, because this whole area, this whole town is representative of city of adventurers that are basically looking... To go on this foray. And once again, I think the, the, the introduction of lots and lots of online play has made this even easier, um, which is just fantastic for, in my opinion. I don't know what you guys think. I like the idea of the players saying, hey, this is what we want to do, and then saying that to their DM. Mm-hmm. That gives the DMs like, okay, so this is exactly what they want. This is what I'm going to get to them. Instead of it being the other way around, saying, hey, I got a game for you guys. This is what we're going to do. And so one of the other players might be, I don't, I don't really want to do that. So but then okay. they won't. You oh. grab somebody else. Is that what the pool of players is supposed to be about? Yeah, that's, and that's the point, right? Is when you're trying to get a game together, the people that end up in the group are the ones that want that type of adventure. <laughs> now, unless somebody's <laughs> desperate, it's like, I need D&D. I don't care if it's lore and no combat. I need d you know, and you might get those people, and that's okay. Yeah. It's meant for one- one-offs, which <laughs> is great. <laughs> yeah, got something good for you. <laughs> Um, but what also touches on this is the, the fact that the map is blank in most cases, with the exception of a few keynote areas. Now, the dungeon master can probably design what these are in advance, say, okay, you guys have got to the frontier, this little fort area is kind of the, 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 the hangout for the adventurers. Here's the five spots that have been discovered. Uh, nobody's come back from the Swamp of Sorrows yet, so you might want to stay away from there for a little while. Um, there's been some digging into the, you know, um, near this big giant obelisk that is leading into a dungeon that is still being explored. They've made it three, you know, floors down. Um, and then they start to run into some trouble, specifically with, you know, uh, they say a giant eyeballed creature with tentacles, you know. Um, that screams telling them to get out or some bullshit like that. Um, mm. And so now... You, you kind of start with most of it blank, though. And so those those areas leading up to those moments are undiscovered. And thus, the map gets filled out as the group adventures out into the, the world. Um, which, once again, is a very interesting way to do it. Because now you've got, you know, 10 to 20 different players that are all working collaboratively to flesh out this world. And because it's empty and the DMs are... Setting it up, every DM that does it slightly different is adding a little bit to the story. Every game is adding a little bit to the lore, a little bit to the world building. And the world is being flushed out by not just the dungeon masters, a variety of dungeon masters and dozens of players. So does this work in such a way where like one week the the table has six players and they're exploring this this area over here but then the next week it's going to be four or five different players who might want to go this way yes and so that's okay that sounds that sounds a lot of fun it, it, and, and, it, and it really is because what happens is you get players chasing the things they want so if you decide you want to investigate that obelith because it might contain lore you then raise your hand to everyone and say hey i'm available on a saturday between these times i'm looking to run a game i want to see this obelith i think it might ret- uh, be pertinent to some ancient gods or something so you're basically telling the group exactly what you're interested in and those people that are interested in the same thing are the ones that are going to tug and pull. So not only are you getting a game that's focused on a particular location, but you're getting a game that the people that join are interested in that particular thing. And that means like-minded people get together and form groups, which honestly I think is easier for the Dungeon Master because they don't have to say, okay, this guy loves combat, this guy loves lore, this guy loves role-playing, and tackling them all in one ha- in one game can be daunting in some cases because you have to develop all yep. this different stuff. But if I know they all want to go to the third level of this dungeon, I know it's a dungeon crawl, and maybe I'll toss in you know a couple lines of roleplay with the beholder or something. But for the most part, they're there to crawl. And so they build out this kind of story around this area. And the deeper it goes, the DM and the players are creating that content. 
So they share that content, but it's third, once again, it's heard third uh, party. So what they hear may not be actually accurate, you know? And I think that that just makes for a lot of fun. But the big takeaway for West Marches is the fact that it's so versatile for getting a game at a time that's convenient for you. And so my hope is that I want to work towards something with this. I know I run a monthly game with our patrons and stuff, but this is something I want to delve into a little bit because I'd like to get more patrons involved in the games. So if this is a way I can do that, at least experiment for a little while, I think it would be a lot of fun as well. Yeah, it sounds like it'd be fun. Yeah. How far west can you go? Until uh, you fall off the planet, I'd imagine. I don't know. That's the beauty of it. You don't know. It goes as far as you want. And, and and that's as far as people are willing. You you might come to an end where it's water. Well, guess what? Who's ready for a naval uh, style game, nautical adventures? We just ran into <laughs> just a new keep ocean. Going, just keep going west. Yeah, and you go west, and it's just a short river. You thought it was this big old ocean. <laughs> it's like, oh, we reached the other end. That was kind of anti. You're doing this for like nine, ten years, and it's like, oh, we gotta get across this this water, and you get across, and you end up in like water deep. Like, oh shit, did we sail around the planet? <laughs> You might. That's interesting. Okay. <laughs> okay, we came to the edge of the planet. I see four elephants on the back of a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, so uh, we keep talking about you know having a, a campaign uh, setting that is um, you know based on unexplored uh, stuff. So this is really great if you want to run a homebrew game. But you don't have everything built out. You can start it in one, you know, little corner of it, and then venture out from there. A really great example of this. I don't know if you guys remember. Uh, we covered. Uh, I worked with um, Lore Smith, and we developed a thing called Savage Dawn. And in Savage Dawn, you're on like one of the last like cities, right? You believe you're in this last like city of this, you know, ancient fantasy adventure, and. So when you run it, everything is pretty much undiscovered. Um, think uh, Attack on Titan, right? Everyone thinks the, 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 the city is like the last, right? You got the three big walls. This is similar to that, and every venture out could be a different discovery. Um, I'll go ahead and include a link to if you're interested in checking it out. It is free to pick up, thanks to Loresmith. Um, but, uh, Did you lose a whole other fucking city a whole day from here? <laughs> Nobody ever went that direction. <laughs> But see, that's what's interesting about it. Maybe you start, you can introduce new races that way. You know, you could put a new race in a single square and that's their little tiny village or something. And they'll only find out that they exist if they wander into the general area and stumble across them. Which may be good or bad. If they're anything like Pocahontas, is probably not going to go very well. Um, but it's, I don't know, this is just something that really uh, drives me uh, home because it drives competition too. Right? You're the first to discover something. There's there's rumors, you guys, there's rumors that someone said that to the northeast, several days travel from the Black Obelisk, that they saw a dragon uh, building its nest and dumping its hoard. Yeah, have fun with that. Yeah, right? <laughs> but you know what I mean? It, now, who's going to, people are going to want to race to that because once you get it, this is where it sets apart. It's one world. Once it's gone, it's gone. Oh. So if you go and delve into said uh, dungeon and clear it, and anybody that follows you, only thing that's going to be left is the corpses of those that died in the adventure. You know? And that, to me, is interesting. Hey, look. We found Steve. I hate Steve. <laughs> I hate <laughs> Steve. <laughs> oh. Oh, sweet. Sword's still here. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny just, yeah, you could totally do that you have a, a character drop that uh, was not part of another group mm -hmm. and they let's say they have a magic sword on them and they're gone and their group's like we gotta get out of here and they take off and leave then you have a different group coming up and you have his body right where it was and he's like Yo, you stumbled across this, this body and it has a magic sword do you want it like, oh yeah you pick it up and you run into the other players it's like that's a friend sword <laughs> Or, better yet, he's died full of pins, and then the person goes and grabs it, and now they get shot up full of pins. <laughs> Poison needles, you know, <laughs> a trap. If you never want to make the most out of traps, 
put adventure corpses in them. <laughs> mm, this guy's body is full of darts. Do I um, really want to do this? <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so that's a really good point because when there are wipes, that stuff is left there for the next group. Yep. <laughs> Which is just phenomenal, especially if you go part another group. Hey, guys, I know this area that's got loads of loot. One of my characters died there once. <laughs> so let's go, you know? <laughs> but once again, by the time you get there, you may not know if somebody else looted it, I think. Which is nice, depending on the details of the... Um, Only the DM knows. Right, well, depending on the de- details that were written or left behind. Well, usually you'll get, we wiped when we went into the third level of this dungeon and a beholder, you know, devastated raid us or whatever. What is it, ray of just de- decimation or de- disintegration? Yeah. Something like that. Clearly, I don't remember shit. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> they commented ghosts. So. <laughs> Ooh, the haunt's coming up, too. I'm excited. Anyways, um, and what's really cool is basically the uh, you also do the, the content is kind of tiered, right? The farther out you go, the more likely you are to run into to dangers, which is nice. So <laughs> all the lobby areas are closed, which have already most likely been looted by some of the bigger people if it's a well-defined location. But maybe that's where you're going, just to uh, grab, you know, specific crafting materials for the monster that's set in the location, which is really cool, too. Um, so, um, when it comes down to it, though, there's only a few rules that are really, uh, really consistent. Um, uh, Ian, would you like to tell us what the really first only uh, hard scheduling rules are? Well, first and foremost, especially since it's done on short notice... The GM has to be available that day. Well, obviously. <laughs> right. So the system only works if the GM is pretty flexible. Okay. Uh, Brandon, what's rule two? Uh, the players have to tell the GM where they plan on going well in advance. And so he, meaning me. Or you. Or yeah, him. Or him. Yeah. Or you, if you're a dungeon master. One yeah. of those people. Uh, has at least a chance to prepare anything that's missing. Okay. Uh, as the pan- campaign goes on, this becomes less and less of a problem. Uh, because so many areas are so fleshed out okay. by the players, and it not much has to go further into it. You know, what's interesting, the more I think about this, as the area is fleshed out, the monsters and stuff are determined for you, which means you technically have significantly less prep. If somebody delves into the obelisk's dungeon below it, and already says, okay, I fleshed it out, it is infested with um, kobolds and um, some other monster. That area is always going it, to have. It's going to already have those, and then you might toss in one or two, you know, bigger monsters that might show up, which then just creates kind of a chain effect of what to expect in this this crawl, which is really cool. Huh. Um, but when it comes down to it, all other decisions are really up to the players. They fight it out among themselves, sometimes quite literally. Um, and what's interesting to me, though, is I feel like you can tie what the players want into small little quest hooks outside of um, what is planned. For instance, we talked about player parties dying, right? What if somebody escapes and he knows that there's something there of value and doesn't necessarily tell the group. He just says, hey, I'm interested in delving into this. There's, uh, I've heard that this such and such is there, <laughs> Greedy but doesn't tell them about the said other thing that's there. Great for the rogues, I think, yep. in the, the really sketchy criminal styles. But what it really comes down to is having a large pool of players and dungeon masters to pull from to easily schedule a D&D game. Yep. And that's something that is easier now than it had been in the past. Um, overall, what are your guys' thoughts on this, this West Marches style um, game type. You're going to need a lot of a random table at your disposal if you're a DM. <laughs> that certainly helps. This sounds fun. I've never had the idea of doing this before. But it's just... It's a sandbox idea. That's mm-hmm. the thing that I like the most. Yep. Yeah, me too. Um, so... One thing I would like to add to this probably before we start to move on, um, and I'll let Ian, looks like he's got something to say too, um, is that you need a good way to organize this. And I think we've got some pretty potent tools. Creating a Discord channel, creating a a Facebook group, uh, a forum if you still use those, Reddit. um, And I'm sure there's already groups out there for them. Google Docs. Yeah, Google Docs is really good too. But um, 
if you can, you know, type in Westmarch games, I'm sure you can find something across, you know, uh, Reddit and Facebook and, and, and whatever other crazy social media apps you may use. TikTok. I bet you could do a TikTok one that's solely dedicated yep. to finding players. In uh, hex number hashtag 25E74, <laughs> we <laughs> found this. <laughs> our adventurers stumbled across a sleeping Tarask. Stay way away from this area. <laughs> <clears throat> the players in this hex, we have found the ruins of doom. Do not enter. All who has entered here has not come back alive. Well, then how do you know it's called the ruins of doom? Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> no survivors. No survivors, uh, huh? Then why, I wonder where the stories come from. <laughs> well, It's like when the Vikings named Iceland Iceland, so people didn't go there. <laughs> <laughs> It's nothing but ice. You wouldn't like it. Go. Just bypass it. Um, other than that, this is a, a really cool game type. It's something different. I think right now may, it's it's better now than ever to be able to do this and get into a game and, and charge ahead. Um, I'm really interested. With all the free material you can use to make maps and track them and stuff, this just seems like a, 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 a fantastic way to... Uh, play a bunch of one-shots that are loosely connected in, a, in a, a story and setting. But the thing that I love the most is that the world is being flushed out by different people. And that includes stories that are being told from the perspective of the players to other people, which once again passes down that idea of potential misinformation, which honestly, that's the part that interests me the most, aside from getting into a game. It's a choose-your-own-adventure book with a whiteout marker. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, you guys know about the big black obelisk? It's not there no more. What happened? Fireball. <laughs> uh, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Bastard. All right, with that, I think that'll close out our main topic today, running West Marches. Let's move on to our Unearthed Tips and Tricks segment. hey yo. And now, what you've all been waiting for, our Unearthed Tips and Tricks segment, where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. Our character concept is Mayanthathiel Lepis. That who, what? That sounds good enough to me. <laughs> Mayanthathiel... Okay. Say that Nobody five knows. times fast. <laughs> Yeah. Maya. Justin, stop using random generators. Maya. Maya. <laughs> yeah. Maya, that works. Show that. <laughs> yeah, her skin has the orange glow of uh, being in the sun way too much. She has dressed in earthly colors with, with a uh, black and pastel handkerchief worn on her left side. She has golden hair. Her gray eyes dart from person to person. Ah, so we got the shifty depths going on <laughs> All right, here. I like the shifty style. She's a uh, mm -hmm. personality wise, intelligent and cunning, but she will too often allow her rage to get the better of her. Oh, side note, she's a female half elf. <laughs> and she will also lose her cool and rely on brute force who carries a day. She works hard and plays hard, so we should have a barbarian on our hands here. That's what it sounds like to me. Yep. History Maya was born the youngest of three triplets. Uh oh. She was an adventurer. Many years ago, as she formed a blood bond with her half-elven companions, her brother, she has drifted apart from her friends and has been seen working freelance. Each gave each other a copy of their signature Morningstar. Nice. Apply Morningstar directly to the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Repeatedly until problem is solved. <laughs> and her motivation is to prove her worth to the world, and she has a passion for adventuring, and apparently the rage to do it. <laughs> right. Um... So this is a really cool character. I think it's pretty straightforward. In my mind, it went right to you. It definitely sounds like a perfect barbarian. But I think it would be even better if it was something you wouldn't expect. Like uh, like a holy cleric, right? With a yep. short fuse and attitude. Just sounds like a lot of fun to me. Or a wizard. That's it! Everybody gets fireball! <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Um... That'll do it for our character concept. Uh, Maya. Maya. Le uh, Maya. Uh, Maya. Maya Thalil Lepis, the female half-elf, an apparently raging problem. <laughs> 
<laughs> our character, or uh, that'll do it for our character concept. Our... Although Barbara says it could be a cleric who has a very low tolerance for stupid. <laughs> see now that see that's the sort of stuff I like. Like literally beat him with the <laughs> the holy book. Yeah. Like stop being a dick. <laughs> Let me show you the impact of Paylor's words. What? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, Alright, uh, moving on to our monster variant. We have the Earthbound Titan. So in order to build this bad boy, you're going to have to start with the gargoyle. See where I'm going? Stone? Yep. Titan? Mm-hmm. Anybody? Got it? Yep. Uh-huh. But we gotta get rid of fly, because what good is earthbound, right? It's not earthbound if it can fly, so that's got to go. Yeah. We're gonna give it a new feature. Oh, are you ready for this? Earthbound regeneration. The titan regains ten hit points at the start of its turn. If the titan isn't standing upon earth, stone, or similar terrain, this trait doesn't function at the start of the titan's next turn. The titan dies only if the target it's uh, starts its turn with zero hit points and doesn't regenerate. That could be really annoying. Right. <laughs> Sounds painful. So, yeah, it was a pretty straightforward monster. What do you guys think? I think it's a good idea. Sounds like it would be a complete other pain to kill, though, especially if you don't know its weakness. <laughs> I think that it's a good gargoyle to guard something. True. So, uh, I, I cannot take credit for this idea. I am playing through Final Fantasy VIII, and one of the bosses is called the Brothers. And when you fight them, they basically heal indefinitely until you cast Float on them. Or, so Or Reverse Gravity. Or Reverse Gravity, or something that, well, if they Reverse Gravity, they'll fall to the ceiling, so there's still stone up there. Or, How do you know? We made of wood. That's true. Ceiling. Okay, smart ass. Anyways, uh, so, but in this one, I like the idea of the monster being nigh invincible until they figure out the mechanic. It's almost like a puzzle in a boss battle form, which is really intriguing. Now, some players will be able to figure it out. Some won't. I feel like um, knowledge checks are going to be critical to understanding how to beat something like this. Um, I would say that it would be easy to describe as you chop a chunk off another chunk of boulder crawling up its leg from the ground and, and sealing <laughs> itself in in the wound area but um how would you guys handle a boss fight like this i see cr2 it'll still have a false appearance still have its resistances to non-magical physical attacks mm-hmm. immune to poison yeah exhaustion petrified yeah yeah it's pretty straightforward it's a brute that's not invincible with uh thing because it's got it's got resistances doesn't it yeah uh which makes it even harder on top of the healing and it has multi-attack and it has multi-attack so really the only way to gain any advantage over this is to pull it up off the ground which i is cool because i feel like it uses those spells that don't usually get used in magic specifically levitate right yeah um that'll be key to really winning this battle i think (laughs) that'll do it for our monster variant uh the earthbound titan Brandon, would you like to tell us about our encounter concept today? Yes, the encounter concept is called, oh, look at that, Earthbound. Hmm. Uh, Nile? Nail. 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 is a Goliath Berserker, and he has spent the last 30 years trying to seek out a lost artifact of the Iron Heart Clan. Uh, It was wielded by the clan's elder shaman and was a tool for protecting the clan. Uh... Nail, Nail! <laughs> every time, uh, seeks to become the next elder shaman. His lack of connection to the land has prevented him from tapping into the primal energies, though. Mm. So eh. he sucks. believes that the opal of the Stein rune, he will gain the access to magic that will allow him to achieve his goal. Uh, there is an unfortunate problem: <laughs> the uh, the hidden tomb where he believes the opal to reside is protected by two guardians. And I wonder what these two guardians are. <laughs> uh, once that he is unable to best, or once that he has been unable to best, no matter how hard he's tried, uh, Nail believes, huh? Tear. You can't win. You can't win. Nail believes the creature to be nigh invincible. <laughs> God. But refuses to give up on his dream and returns to his village in shame. Isn't that giving up on your dream? No, he says, but refuses to give up on his dream and return 
to his village. I made a typo. Uh, he did. One of us did. Probably. I the got temple, text. <laughs> the temple guardians are two earthbound <laughs> titans. Yeah. Yeah. See what I did there? Yep. <laughs> Tied them together. Uh. Yep. Yep. That's that's like a rug. That's the issue. Room together. <laughs> <laughs> so the players can help them. If they have the proper spells and such to do so. Yep. Okay. So it does talk about using, you know, uh, the the character to succeed on investigation checks to learn the the um, the magic of the effect of the earthbound power. So, um, yeah. what do you guys think? Well, you just took that master from the previous thing and tossed it in here. So, yeah. Mm. I hate you. <laughs> I hate you all. I uh, like the idea. It's a lot of fun. Totally re re uh, rewrapped and regifted <laughs> Sacred Brothers GF. <laughs> All right, that'll do it for our uh, encounter of the podcast. This is I the think. worst white elephant gift ever. <laughs> no, well, uh, it's no pun on the mechan. <laughs> Kill it like the rest. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, would you like to tell us about our magic item? Our magic item is the Opal of the Stein Rune. That sounds really familiar. Oh, man, Justin, did you just tie everything together? You must have ran out of ideas. It sounds like you created an entire adventure just for our uh, other tips and tricks today. Yeah, you're welcome. Let's see, you're running out of ideas. People stop watching. Uh, well, yeah. I welcome more. <laughs> All right, the Opal of the Stein Rune is a large opal, go figure, about the size of an adult human's Fist. That's a big rock. The stone rune appears on it in the form of crystalline veins that run across the surface. The opal has the following properties, which works only while it's on your person. That's how magic items work. Indomitable stand. As an action, you can channel the opal's magic to hold your ground. For the next minute, or until you move any distance, you have advantage on all checks and saving throws to resist the effects that force you to move. Yeah, that's right. Some, you can't touch this. In addition, any enemy that moves to a space within 10 feet of you must succeed on a DC 15 strength saving throw or be unable to move any further this turn. That's pretty good right there. Yeah. Can't touch this. Stone Soul, you are immune to the petrified condition. Yeah, that's right. That's awesome. Suck it, Medusas. <laughs> I bet... Uh... Our buddy wishes he, uh, Austin had that. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait for him to meet her again. Earthen Step. <laughs> you can cast Meld into Stone as a bonus action. Once you use this property, you can't use it again until you finish a short or long rest. That is a really useful ability, let me tell you what. <laughs> Next up, we have Gift of Stone. Mm. You can transfer the Opal's magic to a non-magical item, like a shield or a pair of boots, by tracing the Stein rune there with your finger. The transfer takes about eight hours of work that requires the two to be within five feet of each other. At the end, the opal is destroyed. Boom! And the rune appears in silver on the chosen item, which gains a benefit based on its form. Such as if you put it Transform. On, if you put it on a shield, it is now a rare magic item that requires attunement. While you wield it, you have resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing. Ah. Just uh, uh, resistance, not just not magical, but just right. period. Period. Yeah. Or we put them boots. I'm I, can I just say I appreciate that you noticed that. Yeah. Thank you. for Most that. people don't. No, I don't. I didn't think anybody would notice that. Well, to be fair, nine tenths out of ten, when you put stuff like that, it's usually specified as not magical. Yeah, usually. <laughs> yep. Or we put them boots, which which now makes it a rare item that requires attunement. When you're wearing it, you have advantage in strength saving throws, and you can use your reaction to avoid being knocked prone. In addition, you can cast the Erupting Earth spell using a spell save DC of 15. Nice! Once you use this property, you can't use it again until a short or long rest. I mean, I don't think you can go wrong either way. <laughs> Shield or boots. What do you guys think of this magic item? I think that you've been playing Diablo a lot. Dude, I have not played Diablo in forever, but man, do it I It came out this it. past week. <laughs> Did it? D Diablo 2. Yeah, I can't, I, I can't support it. That's why I canceled my WoW account, so... But I am a big fan of Path of Exile and other D&D games, or uh, um, action RPG games. <laughs> but yes, totally, uh, this actually was not, or, I mean, I designed this item, but this concept is actually in the Storm King's Thunder. I think one of you guys got one. 
Austin's character got one. But anyways. So. Um, so yeah, it's pretty straightforward. He wants this thing really bad. It's pretty simple. I love that it gives options, right? Um, this means that it can fit a multitude of different characters, right? Um, obviously, what it does di- is different depending on whether it's outside the body and becomes a basically um, a, a thing that lets you what, cast a spell, I think, right? Or is it... No, it's the, the indomitable, stand, indomitable stand and the you can't be petrified. Um, and you can use, uh, uh, cast the meld into stone as a bonus action. So it gives you some cool stuff. You really got to chose. Obviously there's a theme here. Yep. No rocks stone. Yeah. Get stoned. Get stoned. (laughs) You know, it'd be a a neat addition to this. What's that? Did you know that if you get opal wet, it cracks. You're making that up. Nope. No. He's making that up. I'm not making it up. Opal cracks and when it gets wet. That seems like a very not valuable stone at all. I mean, there's a diamond. Yeah, only because De Beers did a big market-pushing campaign. It's the only reason that has any value. (laughs) All right, uh, that'll do it for our magic item. It is a controlled market. The Opal of Steinrune. (laughs) Our Dungeon Master tip of the podcast is apply templates to create new monsters. Now... (laughs) Let's be honest, in Dungeons and Dragons, uh, and, and well, in D&D, each monster has a unique set of features. This is pretty consistent throughout the, 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 the flavor of monsters, I guess, or themes of monsters, right? So what that means is, uh, a good example would be zombies, right? They have undead fortitude, at least most of them do. Or a ghost is expected to be incorporeal and floating, right? Um, with specific resistances and immunities. That's that's their thing, you know. Um, you can easily identify these core traits and add them to any monster to create something fun and unique with little work. Um, and the Monster Manual does give us an example with the half-dragon, but I'd like to talk about one of the new dragons coming out in uh, Fizbin's book. Um, let's talk about the Illithid, or the Elder elder Brain Dragon, or whatever it is. It's literally an <laughs> Illithid dragon, and it's terrifying and the thing of nightmares. And yeah. I'm pretty sure it's just a dragon with a few of the uh, Illithid traits. Like, that that's a template they applied to it. And oh no, you cracked the code. You can write He's like, oh my god, their secret's out! <laughs> They've learned we've run out of ideas! <laughs> um, and so you can do this as a dungeon master as well. Uh, I mentioned the half dragon template that comes in it. Um, it's uh, uh, so a beast, a humanoid, a humanoid, a giant, and a monstrosity can become a half dragon. Um, it keeps all its statistics except for um, it gains a few new features. Um, so it's worth noting to you want to be careful of challenge rating. So to avoid recalculating the creature's challenge rating, apply the template only to a creature that meets the options. Uh, prerequisites in um, certain uh, conditions, you know. You don't want to give them powers and stuff that outscale the the, the monsters, right? Yeah. Um, otherwise, you end up having to recalculate the CR, which for some DMs is out of their, their skill set, so you want to avoid that. But So in this case, we get senses. So the half-dragon has blind sight to 10 feet and dark vision to 60 feet. So that's a feature that's going to apply to our new monster. So let's say Cobalt, for instance. That's too close to Dragon. Let's pick something else, Justin. How about <laughs> an Orc, right? So we get an Orc half Dragon, right? Because half Dragon, half something else, right? So now uh, we give them the, the, an Orc stat block, the uh, blind, blind Sight, and the Dark Vision. We give it resistance to a particular element. Um, you roll for the Dragon's element if you want, or pick one in this case. Um, it's obviously going to now be able to speak Draconic, but we're going to give it a new, uh, new feature. We're going to give it a breath weapon. So now its dragon half allows it to breathe this fiery death. And that's not something people are going to expect from an orc. But there's things you can do to kind of allude to that, yeah. right? Yeah, but you might throw it the orc half dragon. Because scales. Well, I was going to say, depending mm. on how much of it is revealed, it having a scaled tail or scales around its armor or around its flesh may give that away. Maybe it's an orc, but it's got a little bit more of a long snout or something that gives away the fact that it's dragon. Maybe it's got big claws or, or you know, something along those lines. But <laughs> the idea of having an elite squad of orcs that can breathe fire is just awesome. And you can do that with any combination of monsters. What are you giggling about? That's a nice costume. It's not a costume. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, nothing but one comic. Dude! Great Freddy Krueger cosplay! Dude, that's Deadpool. That's what he looks like. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
So what do you guys think about this, this sort of tip in, in making variety in your monsters? I like variety in monsters. Oh, yeah. Have and you ever applied a template? Oh, sorry, go ahead. I mean, we did like uh, cover some uh, supplements that, even just a few weeks ago that had additional templates on there, and yeah. we kind of did the point of like, hey, that's neat. Yeah, so yeah. I've never applied a template. I want to try. I just use the, uh, uh, the table in the back of the DMG, mm-hmm. and I just say, okay, this creature can only do max damage. Yep. This, this is their max damage, their HP, this is their CR. All right. And then maybe I'll give them a little feature or something. Yep. And that's that's okay, too. Um, this is designed to give you some really good um, flavor, too. Um, and it is on my list of things to make. One of the things I want to do is I want to do an entire book of templates. I want to go through the, all the monster books and pull out the types that make them on specific types. Mm, that was uh, so pretty good amongst the DMs. I don't, I don't know that. But uh, anyway, so I think that'll do it for our Dungeon Master Street, unless you guys got something else. Swiggity swooty, I'm coming for that booty. <laughs> I don't. I don't fucking know. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Uh, that'll do it for our dungeon master tip. Apply templates to create new and creative monsters. Yeah. Our player tip of the podcast is don't, don't be, be a, a dick. dick, and you can avoid dickitude by listening to Brandon here. Actually, this will make you a dick. So don't be a dick. Maybe. Uh, okay. Uh, the right to bear arms. Did you spell bear? Oh, God. <laughs> this is for all you power gamers right out there. Right to bear arms, as in, uh, bear. Oh, jeez. The druid of, oh the God. druid circle of the moon is a powerful build, as it lets you turn into a bear that has a multi-attack. That level, two. That's right, we are building a kung fu panda. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, once you've picked up the power to wild shape into a bear, now you're going to multi-class into monk. Fucking figures. <laughs> With this dip, we can now use Flurry of Blows, giving us two extra unarmed attacks, or unarmed strikes, while in bear form. <laughs> of course, this expands to dodging, disengaging, and dashing as a bonus action. Oh, and we can double our jump distance for fantastic flying kicks. Imagine catching arrows between your teeth, spinning and sending it right back at your enemies. Reflavor of catching with hands, since it's required for the feature, but you get it! Oh, catch what it. good is a catch Kung Fu Panda team. without a Hadouken? <laughs> <laughs> this one is stuffed with lots of good stuff. I'm glad I came back. <laughs> what good is a Kung Fu Panda without Hadouken? For our... Mo- for our monastic tradition, we want to pick up the Sun Soul monastic tradition. Uh, now we can send blasts of blue energy from our paws or maw with the radiant sun bolt. Now go and battle your way to the top and show the world you are your right to bear arms. Okay. With a name like that, Fuck! I am semi-disappointed by the fact that your hands don't transform into bears. Oh, that's really cool. I didn't think about that. <laughs> you know, I considered taking like a poison direction with like blight spells and stuff, but I didn't want to be too close to a pandemic. <laughs> I'm fine. All right. What do you guys think about this? <laughs> wow. This will be uh, dangerous at low levels. <laughs> right? <laughs> as goofy and lighthearted as it is, I still really like it. It sounds like it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, remember to bear in mind that it might, uh, you might really steal the show. <laughs> Player tip, be a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything to add, Ian? Ah. <laughs> uh, I was how surprised, actually, when it wasn't a barbarian dip, but hey. <laughs> yeah, you you totally could do that. Yeah. Um, I almost thought that it'd be fun. If you really want to make this uh, really fun, you can take the entertainer background and make Shakespeare. <laughs> and tell, tell a story. Do you get any sleep? <laughs> oh, no, not at all. <laughs> Sounds like you're less sleep than me, and that's saying something. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, you guys got anything else for this? <laughs> no. No, I'm good. No. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, <laughs> I 
I think that'll do it for our show today. Before we close out, uh, as always, we like to give away fat loot on this show. That's just how we roll. Um, so today's special guest uh, gift is Inspiration 2.0 uh, from Ken Carcass. Now, I want to take a moment to talk about this because inspiration is something that either doesn't get used at all or doesn't get used at all in most cases. Um, and some people think yeah. uh, that it could be better. Well, Ken Carcass went ahead and created Inspiration 2.0, which is basically a small set deck of cards that has different um, features. They have some defensive ones, some offensive ones, um, and some utility that the DM can pass out to the players. And uh, I think it's really cool. It comes up with rules uh, for starting every game with, you know, draw draw a couple cards and keep one, and you give the rest back to the DM for him to use with his monsters, which is great. But anyways, uh, I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's a really creative way to do... Uh, to do it, one of the examples that I can think of right offhand was one of the cards says when you miss with an attack, you can expend this inspiration card and still do half damage, which I thought was really, really cool. Um, it makes you want to use it and want to get more. So who is our winner today, Brandon? Our winner today is Liam O'Claire. If you didn't win, no problem. Head on over to CritAcademy.com, and you can subscribe to our newsletter for a chance to win. Um, if you don't know, you can also uh, subscribe. Uh, subscribing to our newsletter gives you a free copy of our best-selling unearthed, uh, no, our best-selling challenge accepted f- uh, fourth edition converted skill challenges for your fifth edition D&D game. Now, before we close out, we have a big announcement, you guys. Ooh! Our latest project uh, is a collaboration with RJ from Game Master Stash um, that we have been working on for several months now. It is called Extraordinary Expeditions. Um, it's modular adventures for your 5th edition role-playing game, and it launches on Kickstarter soon. I want to show you the cover image, or, well, one of our promo images. Oh, this made me juice. <laughs> So here's our pro- promo image. Um, it is a scene of adventures delving into the Magma Forge, uh, which is one of the adventures uh, in the book. Um, Extraordinary Expeditions is a collection of modular adventures designed on a flexible framework to be easily tossed into any fantasy setting. Scour the desolate wastelands for the last library of the Zenith uh, Athenium, or save, escort, and protect villagers as they seek a safe haven while two towering titans do battle around them or venture into a village completely overrun by monster monstrous creatures from the far realm complete with adventures maps monster stat blocks and so much more um this is certainly something i'm really excited about hopefully you guys uh like the way it looks it turned out pretty cool um uh Mattias, uh, Paragaro, I think is how you say his name, uh, did the artwork for us and he did a phenomenal job. So yeah, we're really excited. Yeah, it looked pretty awesome. Yeah, so, um, and there's a lot more to come. Uh, our Kickstarter should be pre launched soon. We're just waiting on uh, stuff to pass and we'll get you guys a date. Um, yes, uh, I'm really excited. It'll have uh, 10 adventures, one through level 10, though they're easily scalable. So, uh, <laughs> with that, um, I hope you guys will join us on our next episode. Halloween is right around the corner. Yeah. So it's only a matter of time before we talk about The Haunt. It is one of my favorite Halloween adventures. I like it. I, I really want to play through The Haunt, too. Yeah. Well, I still, he, he's got three now. Oh. Yeah, I still remember when he had Alicia knocking on the door. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I just want to go. So we had a game where we were all in here. I had the lights dimmed at candles, and I foreshadowed it with my wife or discussed it. Hey, there's going to be a certain point. I'm going to text you. I want you to come and pound on the door. So I got to a point where I described them creeping down a hallway, and as they get closer and closer, <laughs> the door shakes, and a loud thud, and you just heard Alicia banging on it, and they all jumped, and it was great. Um, and so that was one of my favorite favorite moments in Halloween. But anyways, we are going to have special guest Phil Beckwith on to talk not only uh, The Haunt, but how to run scary games and horror-themed for your upcoming Halloween games. So, it's going to make me happy, because I love scary games. Yes, yeah, so it's going to be super, super fun, so hopefully you'll join us next week. Um, Brandon, do you want to close us out here? Uh, yes, if you enjoy the show... 
and want to support us, visit us at CritAcademy.com, follow us on social media, and leave us a review. Reviews definitely help us. Please. Uh, I'm your host, Justin. (laughs) (laughs) I'm your guest, Brandon. I'm your uh, host, Ian. (laughs) Thanks for listening. (laughs) Keep your blades sharp and spells prepared, heroes. Our Dungeon Master tip of the podcast is... Don't be a... Oh, that's the next one. No, that's the next one. That's the the next one. Well, technically, (laughs) Dungeon Masters don't be a deck either. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, a company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual, because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.